Welcome to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. I'm your host, certified religious transition and trauma recovery coach, Terry Hales. I help people step out of the shadows of religious fear and shame and embrace their authentic selves with love and empathy. If you're ready to throw off the shackles of learned binary thinking and explore a more nuanced approach to life, this is your playground. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. Today, we're talking about something I think there is a lot of confusion about. Um, In my conversations with people, even over this past week, there have been a lot of questions about what does it mean to co-regulate? Is it okay to ever depend on someone? Um, I've even talked with some of you who've said that dependence is really scary, that Relying on someone to meet some of your needs feels very outside of your comfort zone and feels unsafe to you. And I even had one comment that said, you know, I think that what you're talking about is codependency. And so I'm glad that we were already planning on having this episode about codependency versus co-regulation. There are several other episodes out there and articles out there talking about codependency and interdependency. And co-regulation is a part of being interdependent. And this is a big issue, I think, for those of us that are recovering from religious trauma, for those of us that are finding resilience, that are creating a life that feels more healthy and connected because we have experienced over-dependence on others. We've experienced a melding of our personal identity perhaps with a romantic partner, perhaps with our family unit, perhaps with a religious community, depending on you know how high demand our religious community was, we may have lost all sense of self in service of the community or in service of God dictated to us by the religious community. And so this idea of depending on others can feel really, really scary. And it can feel like if we allow that to happen, that maybe we might lose our identity again. So I think it's really important for us to have this discussion about where are those boundaries? Where are the lines? What is on the spectrum? And how do we move from this place of you know, being overly dependent on others and losing our identity in others or in a group identity? And many of us have pendulum swung over to the far end of extreme like self-dependence or extreme independence, where we don't feel like we can ask other people for help. We don't want to burden other people with our problems. We don't trust other people to meet our needs, or we're worried that if we open up that door to allow other people to meet our needs, that they will have really big demands on us that will swallow up our identity and our ability to be an individual. And so I find that those of us from religious trauma contexts, we either are still living in codependency or we've swung to the opposite extreme, kind of that avoidant attachment place where we're rediscovering ourselves. And there's nothing wrong with either. If you find yourself on either side of those spectrums, there's nothing wrong or bad about you. It's something to get curious with. You're going to hear me say that probably in every episode. Get curious about where you are, what needs it's meeting for you, perhaps what fear or shame is underneath that, what messages do you have or beliefs do you have about your situation, and allow yourself to just sit with those things and get curious. Ask yourself questions. Get to know yourself better because a lot of the wisdom that you need in order to move to a place that feels healthier for you is going to be within yourself. And it's only a problem if your relationships are not working the way you need them to, or if they're not working the way your partner needs them to. If you're having a lot of conflict, if that's taking a lot of your emotional energy, having to like tread these waters of conflict, and if it feels like there's a lot of unmet expectations or resentment or hurt feelings, it's likely because we have some, you know, unresolved expectations, beliefs and maybe patterns in our lives 
that we simply haven't addressed yet. And that's where that curiosity can really come in handy. So if something isn't working, allowing ourselves to just get curious about it. What we're doing is we are turning on consciousness about the subconscious parts of our life, telling ourselves, hey, something isn't working here, brain. And what I want you to do is I want you to go through the subconscious files and I want you to pull up any information that you feel like is relevant. And I'm going to stay here curious and ready to just kind of look over those things and mull them over and problem solve so that we can get more of the results that we want. So if something isn't working in your relationship, you're opening up that browser. Think of yourself as a computer. Think of your brain as a computer. And you're telling your brain to open up a window specifically for this problem and to pull up information. Your subconscious brain is great at storing information, but it remains there kind of in the back files until we tell our conscious brain like, hey, this is a problem. Can we pull up some things that can help us make sense of this? And once we task our brain with that and we open it up by staying curious, the moment we put in judgment, what happens is our brain is going to create a story and close the file. So we want to try to create that curiosity, open up that browser and just say, you know, give me the information. I'm going to look it over. I'm going to mull it over and I'm going to allow it to kind of make sense because what's going to happen is your brain is going to pull up all of this information and then it's going to start to sort through it and make connections and help you kind of understand it. And your job then is to be curious, to ask yourself questions the way you would with a good friend when they're kind of in a spiral, when they're in a place that isn't working for them and they're not sure why. You're holding that space, asking them curiosity questions and allowing yourself to get clearer about what's really going on. And if it feels like, you know, you're getting in this place where you're telling yourself a same old story, something that's happened over and over again, kind of pushing back against that, looking for evidence contrary to that so that your browser window doesn't just close and say, well, I guess this is the same thing that always happens. Everyone abandons me, or I don't really get the support I need, or I can't trust other people. You're really trying to just keep things open so that you can continue to look at all the information. Now, I know this is difficult. First of all, because of our religious trauma background, right? But second of all, it's difficult because most of us listening to this podcast, according to the demographics I can see on the podcast, most of us are coming from what researchers call weird culture, W-E-I-R-D culture. It stands for Western Educated Industrialized Rich Democratic Society. It's the segment of society that you and I probably live in. It's the culture that we live in. And it's also the segment of society where most of the academic research that is published and passed around on the internet, that's where that stems from. It's mostly Western, educated, industrialized, rich, democratic people that are doing this research and publishing it. And so in this weird culture, we are very quick to champion independence, so much so that like I said, when I talked about co-regulation last week, there were so many people that said the idea of depending on someone else to help us regulate our emotional or nervous system, it, it feels not only unsafe, but unhealthy. We have equated healthy with extreme independence, being able to meet 100% of our needs on our own, not needing anyone for anything. What's coming to mind is that term, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. I don't know if you've ever worn boots that have bootstraps, but you can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Like you can you can pull yourself up a certain amount of the way, but it requires, you know, not just bootstraps. Often it requires a hand up or relying on some other kind of support in order to get yourself up. So we have this idea that we only need ourselves and we don't need anyone else. We have this kind of each man is an island kind of a feeling and that depending on other people for anything is a sign of weakness. And it really does lead us to struggle with this idea of dependency at all. So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about the spectrum 
of dependence. So on one side is codependence. On the other side is extreme independence. I'm not saying independence is bad, but there's an extreme independence that does not allow anyone to support you, help you, that you just do not rely on anyone for anything. And then we're going to talk about that nice and middle place and identify the mix that feels healthy for you and the person that you're trying to create a relationship with. And I have to tell you, like, because each person you have relationship with is different, the mix is going to be different. And we're going to talk about how you can figure out what that mix is and some of the ingredients that you'll use to create a relationship, an interdependent relationship that feels healthy for both of you. Now, I want you to know that dependency and codependency are not the same thing. Dependency is when two people rely on each other for love and support. Both find value in the relationship because there's a space for give and take for both parties. Both parties give and receive support, encouragement, and practical help with life. And it's okay for both partners to experience difficult emotions, to have days when they aren't feeling their best, and to need help from time to time. And when these fluctuations in emotions and mood happen, it doesn't throw the other partner into emotional dysregulation. So it's okay for one partner to feel sad or to struggle with a difficult problem without the other partner feeling like their self-worth is on the line or that they're somehow less worthy because their partner is upset or confused or angry or frustrated. They understand that person's allowed to have their feelings and I can empathize with their feelings. I can give them space for their feelings. If they want support, I can give them support in their feelings, but it doesn't affect my worthiness and I'm not responsible to fix it. I'm not responsible to make it go away. I'm not responsible to shield them from pain. And I don't get my sense of value from how happy or unhappy they are. Their emotions are theirs. And I'm here to create safe space for them to feel through them and to figure out what they want to do with them. Codependency, on the other hand, is when one or both people feel worthless in the relationship unless they're needed by and are making sacrifices for the other person at the expense of themselves. And in these relationships, you need your partner to feel okay in order for you to feel okay. Your partner can't experience feelings of sadness, confusion, frustration, or anger without you feeling either responsible, even when it has nothing to do with you. Like, let's say they had a bad day at work, You somehow feel responsible for helping them get out of that sadness. You feel like it's your responsibility to make them happy again. And it may make you even feel emotionally dysregulated yourself. So let's say you were having a great day. Your partner comes home. They're sad or confused or upset or frustrated. And you feel sad, upset, frustrated, confused, even though those aren't your experiences, your emotions, but you feel their feelings. And there's a difference here between mirror neurons, which is when inside of us recognizes that the other person is upset and we feel moved to like meet them in empathy and to track that they are feeling a feeling versus taking ownership of that feeling. So it's normal that you're going to have a like mirror neuron response. If your partner comes home sad or upset, there's going to be a piece of you that recognizes that sadness and upset. But in a healthy interdependent relationship, you'll be able to say, oh my goodness, they are sad and upset. I feel for them. But you'll be able to like separate and soothe yourself while they figure out their stuff. You'll be able to offer support if they want it, but they may want space and that'll be okay. They may want additional support and that's okay too. But being able to read, that's theirs. These are their emotions. I feel for them. I feel even with them, but they're not mine to fix. These aren't my emotions, my sadness, my anger, my frustration that I have to solve and figure out so that they can be okay. Now, Heidi Preeb, and please check out the show notes for links to her YouTube video about this. 
She describes the difference between interdependence and codependence was one of the best analogies that I've heard to date. And so I'm going to share that here. You can go to her video and get her words verbatim. I'm using several of her words in this analogy, but she goes on. I think we're only talking about like a quarter of her video, possibly. There's another three quarters. It's fantastic. It talks about this topic as well. And she says, imagine you're being hired for a new job. The company's looking to hire a new person as a front desk secretary, for instance. The company has needs that need to be filled, like answering the phone, scheduling appointments, greeting clients, reordering office supplies, and filing paperwork. And after they hire you, they will be dependent on you to show up for work every day and fill that need. This would be considered healthy dependency because you also get something that you need out of the deal. You're getting money to live your life. So it's a win-win for both of you. The company's getting their phone answered and all of those other office things done, and you're getting a salary. Now, this only works, and it's only considered healthy if you have good boundaries as well. Now, presumably, when you were hired, whoever was hiring you told you the parameters of your job, when you were expected to show up for work, when the end of the workday was, and what your job would entail. And you got a chance to consent to answer the phones and greet customers and schedule the calendar and file the paperwork, for instance. You consented to show up to work at a certain time on certain days and to depart at a certain time but you likely did not consent to be available at all times. You didn't consent to drop everything in your life to put the company first. You didn't consent to put away your life and make the company your life. That would be codependency, right? There is no more Terry anymore. Now I am a part of this company and that is my identity, which is sometimes what we do in relationships. And we feel like we're not allowed to have needs, we're not allowed to have boundaries, and that we have to be available 100% of the time for 100% of the needs, and it can feel exhausting. So this would be poor boundaries, and it would not be healthy dependence. And while you consented to meet the secretarial needs of the company, you also didn't consent to meet the emotional or sexual needs of the boss. That too would be an example of unhealthy boundaries. So you consented not only to the times you would show up and the days, but you also consented to the tasks you were willing to do. And then there are tasks outside of those boundaries that are not yours to fulfill. Healthy interdependence only works if both parties get to consent beforehand to what needs they're willing to fill. And it only works if in the relationship, both parties are allowed to have a life and needs of their own. It would be unreasonable, for example, to expect that you would never get ill or injured and have to take some leave from work for those things, or that you wouldn't have some obligations to maybe children or a partner if they had needs, and you might have to take leave to meet those needs. And so if we're in relationships where People don't clearly express boundaries. They ask you to do things outside of your boundaries and you're not allowed to say no. If there is no expectation of, you know, you having a personal life or having people outside of the relationship that you might need to attend to or want to spend time with, then it's unhealthy dependence. It's on that codependent side. Now, let's say you did have to take some leave, or even if you eventually quit, your workplace would not fall to shambles. Think about that. If you're in the workplace, and let's say you had to take medical leave, or maternity leave, or you eventually quit, your workplace might not work as efficiently as it did when you were a part of it, but it wouldn't just fall apart. Your workplace wouldn't cease to exist. The company wouldn't go under because you quit working there. So they likely would be fine without you. It might not run as smoothly. There might be a period of adjustment, but they would be able to function even if you aren't present. It's just that it's easier for you to show up and answer the phones because you're the one accustomed to doing it. And you may have developed a system that makes you particularly efficient at these tasks. 
And this is really similar to our interpersonal relationships. In interpersonal relationships, we are striving to build a relationship where we retain our sense of identity. We are able to maintain boundaries. We're allowed to say yes and no to things without a sense of guilt or shame. We are allowed to communicate our needs. We're able to both give support and receive support. And if for some reason we are separated from the person we're in relationship with, either because of illness or separation or death, if for some reason the relationship ends because of you know something unforeseen right now, you know you would be okay. You might grieve. You might go through some really difficult stuff. It might not work as smoothly as it did for a while, but you know you could trust yourself to keep going, that you would be able to trust yourself to pick yourself up, ask for the support you need from others, and move on. When we're building relationships, we want to create something that's a win for both of us, where we're both allowed space to be human, to have emotions, needs, desires, difficulties, good and bad days. Both of us provide and receive support in the relationship, and we both feel fully able to consent to the kinds and amount of support we want to provide in the relationship. Now, there are three places that I can think of right at this moment that we get into trouble in relationships. And the first one is that we believe that in order to be healthy, we have to meet 100% of our own needs. Humans are social creatures. We are wired to connect with one another, like literally, physically, neurologically wired to connect with one another. And we can't meet 100% of our own social needs. We found this out during the pandemic. Research has actually shown that loneliness is deadly. It increases the risk of premature death by 30%. Lack of connection can shorten our lives by up to 15 years. On top of this, there are higher instances of heart disease and stroke in those who report loneliness and isolation. And as we saw during the pandemic, there are also increased risks for depression and anxiety. We saw increases in all of those numbers during that time. And there are some research numbers to show that there are increases in dementia and Alzheimer's as well. We also aren't fully able to meet all of our sexual needs alone. Yeah, there are all kinds of fun gadgets and online resources that give us some temporary relief if we find ourselves alone and having to meet our own sexual needs, but many of us don't feel fully fulfilled without a sexual partner or partners to meet some of our needs for physical and emotional intimacy. We're literally wired to be dependent on one another for some of our needs. This isn't a failing as our weird society sometimes makes us believe. This is biology. This is who we are as humans. This is who we are as mammals. We need one another. We need that connection and we need that co-regulation to be emotionally, mentally, and physically healthy. Another problem is when we outsource certain needs to people who didn't agree or consent to fulfill those needs for us. And I found that this happened a lot in high demand religion. Often, we were expected to meet needs that we had not consented to, and we didn't feel like we could say no. So we may have been given last-minute assignments. It may have been implied that we would do things or expected that we would do things that we never really fully gave verbal consent to, but we didn't feel like we could draw boundaries and say no. So this can be a big one. For those of us who learned this pattern early in life, we may have continued this pattern in our relationships today. This often happens, I find, in like interpersonal relationships when someone meets our need once or twice, and then we make assumptions that they will always meet these needs for us without having a conversation to clarify boundaries. So Heidi gives the example of you know having casual sex with someone once or twice and then being like, oh, this is the person that will meet all of my intimacy needs now without having a conversation to see, do they want to have a committed monogamous sexual relationship or is this more of a casual fling for them? 
Do they want to be involved in non-monogamy? They'd be happy having a sexual relationship with us, but they also want to have other sexual partners. We have to have explicit conversations with people to know what the expectations are and to make sure that we're on the same page. This is especially true at the beginning of a relationship. We have to have conversations that for many of us who come from high demand systems, particularly religious systems where we were told to like passive aggressively kind of imply our needs and wants and desires, but never directly talk about them, this may feel really weird and uncomfortable to directly go to someone and say, hey, I really enjoyed sex with you. I really enjoyed the connection. I would like to continue this. Is that something you're interested in? And to be able to accept their answer, whatever that is. This can also happen in the religious trauma community. If, for instance, we find a friend that is totally willing to listen to us and our pain once or twice or even for a couple of months, and then we think, oh, this is the person I can always vent about my pain to without having a conversation to check in with them and say, hey, thank you so much for being here for me. I really appreciate that you've been willing to listen, to create safe emotional space. Are you available for a conversation where I can talk about something coming up for me? Is this a good time for you? Is that something you're interested in? And I know many of you listening to this, that feels really scary because we're opening up the door to let someone possibly say no. That isn't something I can handle right now because I'm dealing with my own problems or no, that's not something I have the bandwidth for this month, but maybe next month. And that might feel kind of scary to be like, oh my gosh, this person is not there for me all of the time, 24-7. Remember, we were talking about your boss calling you in the middle of the night, needing you at, at all hours. This person may have been like, I will be there for you a couple of times. That's what I can give. But maybe they can't be there for you all of the time. So Healthy interdependence is going to be about not just having these conversations, but also recognizing that we're not going to find a person, but we're going to need a group of people that we can rely on when we have emotional needs. And I know that feels really difficult when we've left high demand religion because often our community stayed with the religion. And as we left, we may have felt estranged or shunned. By our religious communities. This is where online support groups can become um, vital during those first few months, even first few years after leaving high demand religion, therapy and coaching vital during that time when maybe we don't have those interpersonal connections and we're reestablishing community for ourselves. Eventually, you're going to want to move into a place where you have people you can rely on that you're not paying and that you know, aren't online going by some anonymous name, but it's a great place to start at the beginning. And maybe you, you know, do what I did, which is I was in an anonymous community on Reddit when I very first left Mormonism using the emancipated Molly name so that no one would know it was me and being able to talk frankly about some of the issues and concerns that I had when I was first leaving Mormonism and to have discussions and to talk about my anger and to talk about, you know, some of the like grief and betrayal that I was feeling so that I wasn't taking that out on family members that really would not and could not consent to be a listening ear or a support to me during this. And so I turned to this sort of anonymous online community. However, at some point I realized This has been great, but I need in-person connections. And we started creating a Colorado group before COVID that got together frequently. And we would go have ex-Mormon adventures. We'd go try a new pub. We'd go hiking on a Sunday. We'd try new coffee together. Uh, We could ask questions amongst the women about like under things like I hadn't bought underwear since I was a teenager. I didn't know what kind of bra you wore with a tank top, like things like that. I didn't have answers to a lot of those things. And it felt nice to be able to talk to other people who were experiencing similar things to figure out what resources I could use to answer my own questions. We could talk about sex. We could talk about 
you know, marital relationships. It was so nice to be able to like talk to other people who were going through something similar and have that support in person. So that was the next step. And you can use your communities that same way. You can ask questions and find the resources that you need. Online is a great place to start. Increasingly, there are actual physical support groups that are meeting in many areas across the world about religious trauma. I do not have a list of those resources, but you may be able to Google them. So use those communities as ways to get the support that you need when maybe your past support group is not able to be there for you. Don't buy into the idea that you're completely alone, you have no support, because it's it's not true. Especially now, it is not true. Religious trauma is becoming much more recognized. More people are being open about their experience. There are more therapists that are offering services. It's still growing. There's not a ton of them, but there are more therapists offering services. There are more coaches offering services. There are podcasts. There are communities on Reddit, TikTok. Um, I don't know. They're all over the place, all over social media. There are tons of support groups on Facebook, and you can utilize those support groups to feel less alone while you're building a network in your like physical, personal life again. Now, going back to the topic, it's so important for us to have these conversations to clarify boundaries because anytime we work to meet our needs from a place of assumption and expectation without having that conversation, we're going to set ourselves up for disappointment and resentment and additional conflict and sometimes relationship ruptures. And like I said, those ruptures can feed our stories about our worthiness and our lovability. So it's so important when we recognize like, I keep coming to you and I'm maybe getting a vibe that you don't want me to keep coming to you. Or even if we're not getting that vibe, just clarifying like, hey, I know I've had a couple of these conversations. I'm still working this out. Is this something you have bandwidth for right now? Asking for consent from people and making sure that they're on board with meeting our needs and accepting it and even encouraging them to tell us if they can't and letting them know that that helps you build trust if they say no to you, if they can't. Um, That's going to be part of healing our wounds too, is asking for support and then letting the other person know like, this is really difficult for me to ask for support. And I appreciate the support that you're giving me. And I want you to know if you cannot, if you don't have the emotional bandwidth, if now is not a good time, I need you to tell me no, even if it feels painful for me and maybe even awkward for you. I need you to tell me no so that I can trust when you tell me yes. I need that to build trust because remember, boundaries is a huge piece of building trust and trust is hugely important in interdependent relationships. Healthy interdependence requires consistent, ongoing communication. I know that there's this idea that if we get really close to someone, that they'll magically know what we need. And it's just not true because we all have our own expectations and inner stories. We have to communicate verbally so that we can clarify with one another what's okay and what's not okay. And we're going to do that particularly at the beginning of a relationship, but we want to continue to check in periodically to see if things are still working for both of us so we can make adjustments before problems arise or even as they arise, right? Because sometimes we don't know something isn't working until we know it isn't working, right? We get that, oh my gosh, I'm so resentful or I can't believe they're asking for this again. That is the time to have a conversation. If you haven't had ongoing conversations and it's okay, you may have been like, oh yeah, this is fine. This is fine. This is fine. And then suddenly it's just not fine anymore. And it's okay. You can have a conversation and say, hey, I know in the past this has been fine, but right now, I'm feeling overwhelmed and I need a little bit of space. I would love to be there for you, but I just can't this time. Let's check in the next time you need this and I'll let you know if I can be there. So we need that flexibility to be able to voice what's okay with us and what's not okay with us. When people communicate to us what they can and can't do, what we're working to do is to accept that. And 
accepting what the other person is able and willing to commit to doesn't mean swallowing our needs if they aren't able to meet us where we're at. Accepting means believing what they're telling you and not like hoping that they'll change their minds later if you're amazing enough, which is what a lot of us do, right? We tell someone our needs. They tell us what what they can do and what they can't do or what they're willing to do and not willing to do. And sometimes what we do is we accept that, but in the back of our mind, we're thinking, okay, that's great for now, but I'm going to be so amazing and like knock your socks off that you're going to want to do this here in a couple of months. Acceptance is believing them when they tell you or show you the first time. Now, if they're showing you with nonverbal communication, guess what you have to do? You got to have verbal communication and clarify because you might be reading the situation wrong. So you'll need to sit down and say, hey, I notice that this is the behavior that's going on. This is how I'm interpreting that behavior. Can we have a discussion about it so that I can clarify where you're really coming from so that I know what to do next? And having these mature, like emotionally mature conversations, it's a difficult skill set to develop, but you can do it. You're going to blunder. You're going to mess up. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to stick your foot in your mouth, but it's okay. You're going to get better every single time. So we're looking for people that are willing and able to meet us in our needs. And if they can't, it doesn't mean our needs aren't appropriate. It just means they're not the right person to meet those needs for us. So Kevin sometimes is able to meet my emotional needs. And sometimes he's too tired because he's been sitting with other people and their emotional needs all day long. He cannot be my emotional sounding board. When he says, I am so sorry, I have no juice left right now. I could talk in the morning, but I can't do that right now. I just need to go to bed. My work is to accept that. He told me what his boundaries are. He told me what he's willing and able to give me in the moment. And then I have options. He can't meet those needs. That doesn't mean my needs aren't valid or acceptable. Now I get to decide, is this a need that I can meet myself? Is this something I can do with journaling or meditating, going on a long walk, taking a bath? Is this something that will make me feel better? Is this something I can release? Like maybe this just isn't even something that I need to worry about right now. Maybe we'll both just worry about it in the morning. And if none of those things will fix it, who else can I call? Could I call a friend, a family member, my therapist? Who do I need to talk to in order to help me work through this? Because he's not available. Instead of getting mad at him that he's not available or trying to like passive aggressively get him to or coerce him, manipulate him into meeting my need, accepting he can't do that. That's okay. I have other resources. How do I meet that need? Now, one of the big examples that comes up for me is this happens a lot. I find, I told you you guys, I read romance novels, right? I see this pattern in romance novels so often. I will see a man and a woman having this conversation about commitment levels in relationships. And when someone tells you that they're not looking for a monogamous commitment in a relationship, believe them. Because it doesn't turn out the way it turns out in romance novels. Like we don't have magical, you know, reproductive anatomy that is going to make the other person change their mind. Typically, that's not what happens. It's not like they're going to sleep with us once and then suddenly be like, oh my gosh, you're the person I've been looking for and change what they already told you. Majority of the time, vast majority of the time, that's not how this works. So if someone says, I'm not looking for a monogamous commitment in a relationship, believe them. But then you've got to decide what you're going to do about your own needs because remember, your needs are still valid. If you need monogamous commitment to feel safe and happy, that's not wrong. It just means that you and the person who told you that they don't want monogamous commitment, that you guys just aren't a good fit for an interdependent romantic relationship, at least at this point. So you might be able to remain friends and meet one another's needs for socializing or conversation or even going on adventures. 
But in this moment, they have told you, I am not a good fit for you for a committed romantic relationship. And if they're showing you with their behavior, remember, we have a conversation with words and we clarify. It seems like you're not ready for a committed relationship. Am I reading that right? It seems like you still want to date and sleep with other people. Checking in with people is going to be so important. But we do this with our siblings. We do this with our friends. We do this with our parents even. We let them know what our needs are. And sometimes our friend will tell us what they can do and what they can't do. And we decide not to accept it. We decide to say we accept it. But then we try to like manipulate the situation so that they'll eventually come around to our way of seeing things and meet our needs. Instead of accepting, oh, they can't do that. And figuring out how else will I meet my needs? Because your needs are still valid, even if they can't meet them. Now, another common pitfall I see is expecting our partner to meet needs that are inappropriate to expect them to meet. So in the illustration at the beginning of the podcast, we talked about how it would be appropriate for your boss to expect you to meet the company's needs for answering the phone and filing paperwork, but it would be inappropriate for that boss to expect you to meet their emotional or sexual needs. Those are for them to figure out and maybe meet with another person that is outside of the boundaries of your company relationship, right? Similarly, it would be reasonable and appropriate to expect our romantic partners to possibly meet our sexual and emotional needs within the boundaries we've both agreed upon. And that's important because especially in religious transition, we might find out that, oh, I have way different sexual needs than my partner does, or my libido is really high and my partner's libido is really low, or my partner has like a withdrawn attachment style and I have more of an anxious attachment style. Like we have these inconsistencies that we become aware of because we're not just expecting our mutual commitment to a religious dogma to somehow make all of our problems magically go away. So it's really important for us to have agreed upon boundaries about like, what do our sex lives look like? What do our emotional supports look like within our relationship? However, it is not appropriate and it is outside of the relationship bounds to expect our partners to meet our needs for self-esteem, or to reparent our inner child. While they can support our efforts to work with our own self-esteem and work to feel safer in the world, they can't give us self-esteem or inner safety, no matter what they do. That's our work. They might be able to offer comfort and reassurance as we do this difficult work. They might remind us that we're capable and that they believe in us as we work through our inner wounds. They may even help us make sense of our chaotic thoughts by asking curiosity questions and actively listening, but ultimately, it's not their job to fix the problem or make that pain go away. Not even a therapist can do that work for you. All a therapist will do is ask you questions, actively listen, and mirror back to you the things that they're hearing you say and help you work through solutions for that. But ultimately, you have to do the work. It's your work to do. They cannot do it for you. So expecting our partner to fully change their behavior in order for us to feel safer, to walk on eggshells around us to make us feel safer, is outside of the boundaries of our relationship. That is not their work to do. Asking them to act like a parent to us and to provide the stability that a healthy parent should have provided us as a child, again, is not their work to do. They can support us. They can help encourage us. But ultimately, that is our work. Now, one of the ways that we can really help ourselves is by creating an interdependence cushion is what I like to call it. It's a network of people that we can call on. It is a set of tools that we can develop. It's supports that we can give ourselves. So it's a mix of self-comfort and self-soothing as well as other people that we can, 
you know, talk to and ask for support. We don't want to rely on just one person to fulfill 100% of our normal, healthy dependence needs. Because while our needs themselves are healthy, expecting one person to fulfill them all may put unnecessary pressure and stress on that person. The people we're in relationships with, they're humans. They have good days and bad days. They're going to need physical and mental breaks. Sometimes they may have their own struggles that will require more of their time and self-care. This is especially true in religious transition. If you're in a romantic partnership, or even if you're in like a sistership or a brothership, like if you're in a sibling relationship and both of you are going through religious transition, there will be times that you guys are able to meet each other's needs. There are going to be times when both of you are burdened at the same time. And you can't rely on each other during those times because maybe both of you are going through depression. Maybe both of you are in the midst of grief. Maybe both of you are overwhelmed with your feelings. Maybe both of you feel confused or angry and you just don't have the capacity to be there for one another. That's okay. You're human. But this is when it's so important to have friends and family members or a therapist or a support group that you can talk to so that this person, this other person doesn't feel fully burdened with everything you're experiencing, even as they're processing their own stuff and vice versa. So we can be there for one another, but we're going to try to avoid trauma bonding, which is where we kind of get into this codependency. We'll talk about this more next week. What is trauma bonding? But we get into this place where we kind of take co-ownership of one another's trauma and we bond in that place. And that can get a little codependent as well, because then we don't feel like we can go outside of the relationship for support. um, And it, it can cripple us in some other ways. So we'll talk about trauma bonding next week, but it's so important to understand that we need a network, both of personal strategies and other people who can help us meet our needs when our partner is unable to. Otherwise, it'll create unnecessary strain in our relationship. Now, many of us are worried about being a burden on others. And really, the only time this happens is when we try to put 100% of our burdens on one or two people. My late grandmother used to say, many hands make light work during the holidays when it was time to feed the horde of people crowding her tiny 1920s house. Everyone contributed in some way to the burden of feeding everyone so that it didn't exhaust just one person. The men entertained the children outdoors, playing tag and flag football, while all the women and my grandpa, who always made the cornbread dressing, crowded in the kitchen to make the heaps of food. This is the kind of strategy we're looking for in healthy interdependence. Perhaps your romantic partner provides you with some, but not all of your needs. Maybe you go to your parents, your sisters or brothers for certain other needs, and maybe you have best friends to provide support in other areas of your life. And again, maybe you have a therapist, a support group, or a coach who can fulfill the rest of your needs. Interdependence requires that we have access to the strategies and tools we need to soothe ourselves when needed. And like the company who must answer the phones and file the paperwork and set their own appointments when the secretary is out sick, you're going to have to be able to know how to meet your own needs when your partner's unable to. Does it feel better and does it go smoother when you have another person to co-regulate with? Absolutely. Will there be times when that isn't possible? For sure. Building the capability to meet your own needs is especially important during the times when your partner is physically, mentally, or emotionally away. The goal is to learn how to be fine on your own, but to cultivate relationships where because of your dependence on one another's strengths, you're better together. I love something that Kevin often says. He says, The interdependence equation looks like one plus one equals three because you both maintain your individual identities, but together when you're sharing strengths, you're able to do more and be more because of your collaboration together. You create more than you could on your own, just as one in one. So you expand your possibilities because you're pooling resources, you're pooling strengths, and you're complimenting one another's like weaknesses or things that you're just not as good at. This is what we're talking about with dependency. This often happens 
with couples you see that have kids. Whenever kids come along, the family often pools their resources and tries to figure out how to divide the labor and to be dependent on one another so that they can accomplish more and take care of these other smaller humans that they've brought into the world. This is what we're talking about. We're looking for ways that we bring our strengths to the table, our resources to the table. We maintain a personal identity, but we give and take in a way that expands both of us and makes us capable of more, makes us feel even stronger, even better. Our goal in this world isn't to be completely independent, but to find that balance between being able to know and meet our own needs and being able to ask for and receive support from others. We're also looking for that balance between being able to give support and love to others and making sure that our own well-being is taken care of. In short, we're looking for as many win-win situations as we can create in our interpersonal relationships. I know this can be a confusing and difficult topic, so please don't hesitate to reach out on Instagram at emancipatedmolly or by email at terry at emancipatedcoaching.com if you have questions. I love hearing from you. I love having conversations with you. It's especially nice to like get to hear your thoughts. It clarifies my own. I love it. Even better, if you want to ask those questions in person and have a conversation about it, become a monthly donor and join our live weekly support call on Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Mountain Time. All of the instructions about how to join the call are in the show notes, but if you're listening to this and don't want to look at the show notes, what you're going to do is go to emancipateyourmind.org. If you go to the box that says support the podcast and give a gift, it's on the right-hand side if you're on your computer. It's down at the bottom if you're on your phone. Click any monthly donation. Any monthly donation will get you on the email list where you'll get additional tools for each podcast as well as access to our live weekly call. And I would love to talk with you face-to-face. If you're worried about showing your face, don't even worry about that. You start the call with the video off. As long as you change your name, no one will even know who you are. You don't ever have to speak if you don't want to. You can type things into the chat boxes and I'll answer those questions there. There are lots of ways to interact. If you're still in that anonymous phase, which I totally understand, I went through one of those myself and I want to protect your privacy and keep you feeling safe. So you're more than happy to join, even if you want to remain anonymous. But I look forward to seeing you there and I can't wait to have more discussions with you on next week's episode on Sunday. I'll see you then.